This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey guys, Larry and Brandon here from Game Dev Unchained. And before we get the episode started, there was just a couple of things we wanted to say, shout out, and promote to, to all the people listening. First is, if you like this podcast, you can go and just leave a review for us on iTunes. That would be freaking awesome because iTunes reviews are free. And we actually found out that if we get reviews on iTunes, it'll actually go a long way in helping us get some exposure. More people know about us and the whole circle of podcast life gets to go. So I personally, Larry Charles here, would appreciate any support we can get from iTunes. And thank you if you are a supporter or contributor in any way to Game Dev Unchained. Brandon, what else you got? Well, I, I want to definitely shout out to Bobby, who is in Bakersfield, a longtime listener in California, who suggested us to uh, really push it uh, for reviews in iTunes because that is one of the best ways for people to find out about us. So yeah. please spare a minute, two seconds, if you are a listener to us and like us, please go on to iTunes, leave a... <laughs> Uh, a star review at least <laughs> so uh yeah it's, five stars it's whatever <laughs> we're not pushing you to give a good review bad review whatever just do whatever you want but just go over to itunes give us a review it'll be uh really helpful yeah that'd, yeah that'd be great we appreciate it and uh brandon speaking of things giving and helping the podcast how's patreon doing these days hey uh, we're loving the patreon supporters out there you're giving us a lot of hope our lights are on now uh we're trying to reach our next level unlock which is two extra segments uh glass door confessions and uh going deep going deep is where we're going to take a look at a game or a specific game mechanic or game genre and just really break down the things that make it take why it's successful why it may or may not work uh anything that we feel like we can pull out of this any nugget of information that is valuable to people who are interested in games and game development the dive deep will be a great way for you to just fall in love with games you might not have known about or really get to understand the the awesomeness of games that are out there right now let alone just playing it but like how it actually ticks what makes it successful yeah and glass door confession sounds exactly how it sounds <laughs> we're picking a company yeah. and we're dissecting good and bad reviews and then we're gonna yeah. make little quips about it <laughs> yeah. about like, what's going on and who's writing this uh, anonymously and we'll figure that yeah. out yeah so we won't be talking crap will simply be reading things that already exist about companies out there on Glassdoor. We think it'd be, we think it can be a really cool and fun educational segment. That's also entertaining. So we're going to give it a shot. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And uh, again, any support on Patreon is awesome. Uh, please read over the rewards. One of the cool things that has been resonating is the early access, you know, getting our episode a week early, uh, uncut uh, mistakes and all behind the scenes yeah, yeah. stuff, exclusive top tier GDU fan podcast where we talk to our insane unchainers for everyone to listen to on Patreon, talking about, you know, how we're doing, what we can do better, or pretty much shooting the shit with our fans uh, about their personal lives and anything really uh that's happening within the game industry and uh, any support is welcome last but not least be sure to check out our proud partner 80.lv for awesome articles and game development articles such as secrets of digital portraits where amazing 3d artist ian spriggs shared some advice and showed how he builds the amazing 3d humans with modern modeling and rendering tools also there's an awesome article about setting up rock shaders in unreal engine 4 ludovico antonicelli did an excellent overview of the way he approached the creation of the intricate rock master material for echoes from Kyle project these are some of the many amazing articles that will help you get better at game development so be sure to check them out when you get the chance yeah so uh thanks for listening and get ready to sit back relax and enjoy the podcast
ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all over the radio, sitting around, listening to this voice come out, or your iPhone, or your car, however you're finding this podcast, this is Larry Charles, one half of the Game Dev Unchained podcast team. I say one half because this is definitely not something I can do by myself. With me this week to help host the episode, he is the 1996 Box Tops for Education winner. Hey, what's up, everybody? Jumping at you with our special guest this week, Scotty Knapp. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Thanks for joining us, man. How's it going? Very good. So this is the part of the uh, episode where we ask you for your resume, kind of give our audience a little background of what you've been up to, man. Okay, sure. Yeah, right now I'm uh, working as a senior lighting and look dev artist at Turtle Rock Studios. Um, I have a background working in film and commercials, television, uh, games. Uh, recently, we've been doing some VR work, so I've been lighting uh, for a lot of different media. Oh, nice. um, yeah, I have some generalist background stuff as well. I've been doing like modeling and texturing uh, for simple tasks and stuff, but mostly lighting. So, like remodeling and lighting, is your favorite? <laughs> yeah, which one's your favorite? I mean, I like I like to do modeling stuff as like a therapeutic thing. Like I like sculpting, jumping into ZBrush and do some character sculpts and stuff. But um, and as a lighter, it's really good to understand form and stuff as well, and like how to showcase that. So I think those things, everything goes hand in hand with that stuff. Lighting is just how you're presenting it and showing it. Yeah, like I always uh, attribute lighters to kind of like come in. And take credit for all the environments <laughs> because they're the last people that touch it. Right, we're the they, wide receivers. Dude. Yeah, and they literally turn the lights on, so like <laughs> they can. <laughs> so they make the environment, yeah, make it look better. But like a lot of the lighting artists, at least I've met, um, you know, when we go to school, there hasn't really been like a specific uh, curriculum just for lighting, right? It's mm-hmm. usually a thing that we pick up on our own as. Uh, like an environment or a modeler artist, you know? Sure. So is that how you got into it? You, you you started as more a traditional modeler and then... Yeah, when I when first started, I was really into painting. Like I, I love drawing and painting and stuff. So I assumed I was going to do concept art or map painting or something along those lines. Um, but I started doing character modeling for a while in school and just kind of a necessity. Like we, we were doing team projects, uh, like our thesis and nobody else was trying to get into lighting. And like, once I started playing around with mental ray and V ray and stuff, I started really like appreciating it and understanding how much uh, lighting attributes to the final look. Obviously mm-hmm. um, it brings really brings stuff to life and, you know, gives mood and all that kind of stuff. So I, I just fall in love with it. Right. And from there just started really digging into it. Like you, same thing for our school. Like we didn't have, you know, hardcore instruction on any of that is kind of self-taught. Um, I had two other buddies that were equally as excited about lighting and compositing. So we were the three amigos to be like, <laughs> just dug in and kind of like, you know, if we ever came up with any pro tips, we'd kind of, you know, bounce stuff off each other. And we all were working on the same project at the time. So, yeah. you know, we kind of split up the lighting and comp tasks. Um, mm-hmm. So it was all pre-rendered stuff uh, in school. So did either of the other two guys you were working with in school continue on to the industry as well? Are they still in games? Uh, both of those guys are um, still doing film work, actually. Um, oh, my buddy, Eric. So Eric Schulnast, you guys can check him out, ericschulnast.com. It's really solid lighter. He's working at Shade VFX. Okay. Um, but after school, we got the opportunity to work with each other at Zoic uh, in L.A. Mm-hmm. We did some Once Upon a Time stuff, and I think we worked on The Flash together, The Flash mm-hmm. TV show together. Oh, nice. Um, but now he's doing some really cool stuff. He got to work on Westworld, um, oh. some other, like, uh, he's doing some film work now as well at Shade. My buddy Caleb, uh, he was doing stuff for Digital Domain for a while um, in Florida, and then moved out to California and uh, started working commercials at Frame Store, and then recently moved to Australia just randomly, and, like, went backpacking and just kind of exploring stuff and got picked up by Animal Logic. So now he's working on Lego Ninjago movie, dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that's awesome. Really cool, man. So they're both doing lighting comp stuff still. I mean, as but, uh, uh, has you know, you, your experience in the movie industry, um, was that something you've always wanted to do and then transition to games or...? What made so what, you go through that path? 
Well, what first really uh, got me interested in 3D stuff at all was like Blizzard cinematics, actually. Like, I really love Turning Chaos. Oh, so, like, Warcraft yes. 3, and dude, yep. like, just like seeing how powerful those cinematics were and stuff yeah. at that time, just like, yep. I was like, dude, I. I want to be able to marry those two things together, like video games, something I've always loved in film and just seeing like how far they're pushing cinematics, which is incredible. So like I just, you know, immediately knew I needed to figure out what schools offer programs that could, you know, teach that kind of stuff. And what are, what are the steps to even like break into that? I, was, I just want to say something quick. You really brought up a, a good note that I want to just throw out to the audience. It's like, that was back in the day when people gave a shit about the cinematics. It was like, yes, I need to play these next three levels because yeah, it's going to sure. be a bomb cinematic after dude, this. Yeah, the reward, man. It's so good, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, the Final Fantasy were all that for me. Yeah. Just playing yeah, through the fun, crappy graphics. Really yeah, for sure. <laughs> just to watch the cinematics and move the story along. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and then future film stuff too, man. Like, I, I love uh, like 3D animated stuff as well. Like, you know, Disney, Pixar, obviously super inspirational. Um, and they have been really driving, like, lighting and rendering tech. Like, Render Man has come so far, dude. Like, we got to use that on Batman v Superman, which mm-hmm. is super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, like, the advance, advances these guys are taking to photorealism is just, like, incredible. And they're pushing it in their 3D animated stuff too, like Moana and stuff. Just looks yeah. so good, dude. Um, but yeah, VFX work has always appealed to me as well. So it's it's cool working on future film stuff like that. So yeah, like you did mention Moana as you know, kind of being a, a standout breakthrough, at both in you know its cinematic visuals and also just the animation as well. Like I think. Now that movies are are the fidelity, right? The possibilities of how how beautiful they can render things is great. But I love that they're still sticking to, you know, this very unique style where it's like it kind of has the cartoonish appeal, but it's yeah. the softness of the textures and the materials and the the fine details are there. But they still respect the fact that they're making like kind of cartoon three D movies, right? So like it's a beautiful experience. Like I love that. Oh, me too. And it's like a. It's an idealized version of all that stuff, right? Like, you could tell they really did their homework, like, particularly on that film, like, uh, mm-hmm. really capturing the essence of the specific islands and stuff and, mm-hmm. and all elements, like the character proportions, like, uh, the lighting and all that stuff, too, is just, man, it's incredible. But yeah, I think... Um, Obviously. They, uh, they used me to reference Maui. Just oh, yeah, for sure. Know. Yeah. yeah it was, I haven't gotten my check yet, but, you know... I was supposed to keep that under wraps. Dude, that dummy got yeah. What are you six four, Larry? Right? <laughs> yeah, six five. Oh, oh you see that? Try to cut an inch off him. He's like, nah, six five. <laughs> so jelly, dude. Six five. <laughs> so like for me, for me, it was the uh, I started game development in in the PS3 era. And that was all about normal maps and lighting was getting a little bit better and it's light maps. But like as we go forward in the PS4 and beyond, um, you know, lighting and materials is kind of like driving the driving force for graphics, right? That's what's improving and that's what's making us look better. And now at least I see that at least there's an emergence between the movie and game industry. Like we're getting closer. We're not there yet where the movies are, of course, but we're doing that by in steps and in real time, you know, I think a lot of the, they're they're starting to use a lot of game engines for um, simulation, mm-hmm. at least on set directors oh, yeah. kind of just yeah. like propping the set around. And so it's not looking at a green screen the whole time. Yeah, the two worlds are definitely converging. Um, I mean, even uh, people are considering using substance painter for like film looked at workflows and stuff mm-hmm. uh, oh, like no. And vice versa, like you have people um, like at Ready at Dawn who are using Mari, mm-hmm. which is a feature, typically a feature film texturing package. So like they're starting to use each other's tools and most principles that um, are coming through for game lighting is a lot of stuff that, you know, was drawn from film. And uh, it's just, it's cool to see, man. People are starting to do their homework on like photography, what, DPs are doing on set, all that kind of stuff to help drive story. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Sorry, do you mind explaining to Larry what DP means? <laughs> he might think of it as something else, but yeah, it depends on yeah what we're talking about. Yeah, DP uh, director of photography. So those are like the yeah uh, uh, cinematographers, the ones who are set helping set up lighting on set. Oh, okay, so it's one guy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's assistant DPs too, bro. So. <laughs> It, 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 still, it still works. Uh, yeah, director yeah, of photography. So do, do you feel yeah. like lighters in general should have a pretty good sense of cinematography and composition, obviously? Because you, a lot of times when we, we need screenshots, we're going to the lighters <laughs> in most instances. Yeah, I would say a lot of fundamental theories are important to focus on more so than tools. Tools are evolving all the time. Um, personally, I've used like five different renders and like four different video game engines mm-hmm. and they're all just tools, right? And so how can you leverage these tools to get the best possible look? Um, and yeah, just not getting hung up on like what I guess process and tools are and more of like what the look is and understanding why something looks good or what, what could change and what, what can be leveraged to make it look better. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll see a lot of kids coming out of school. They are so hung up on like, Oh, what's, what's actually happening in real world. Like, you know, we've got to capture HDRs and mm-hmm. this is how you're going to light it to look how it would look in real life. Mm-hmm. But sometimes real life's boring, right? Yeah. Like on set, you'll see people setting up, you know, huge silks and setting up, you know, big soft boxes and all these lights that wouldn't be there in real life to help accentuate a character and pull them from the background and do all these things to make the shot look more interesting. And that's something that people need to do in games and in film as well, it's not be so hung up on what things actually would be like in real life and more what's making a better and beautiful image, right? Um, that's like a, a big thing. It's just like theory and, and back to composition too. Like those are all things that um, sometimes people get, I don't know. A lot of the questions that I have from the listeners are about exactly <laughs> how, how to be for a reason. exactly. I mean, how how to be a lighter? What's the difference between the movies and games? And uh, what what type of things do I need to prepare myself for if I want to come in as a lighter? Because the questions sure. are, like it, it is a new type of thing. Like uh, the most recent engines are finally allowing a, a lighting department <laughs> like it, it wasn't right. there before now we're actually having teams having a dedicated lighting department these are things that environment artists used to take care of on top of management of levels and optimization and that but now it's it's becoming such a bigger thing and lighting is becoming like such a graphical fidelity in the next generation like every technique that we implement is is just how does it make it look better with between materials and lighting, right? So it's a valid uh, thinking process of just trying to dive into exactly, you know, what you were talking about, like the the, the exact specific stuff that you were saying, all the noise that Larry's hearing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. It is interesting because we are borrowing a lot of stuff from the film industry. Um, And at the same time, we're kind of holding hands a bit going to the future so yeah yeah i think so, a lot listen, of guys <laughs> i too went to art school okay like i <laughs> i can understand a little bit of what's going on nice so yeah you, uh, you know what's up yeah he knew what to do <laughs> so uh scott i didn't mean to cut you off there buddy oh you're fine man. yeah i just saying um i think i, w- I would encourage if anybody who's trying to get into lighting to pick up a camera first even if you're shooting with your smartphone like Try to see what you can get, you know, um, in terms of like a good photo and stuff and playing with light that you see in nature and finding what are good times of day to shoot and just start shooting as many photos as possible and try to figure out like how is light interacting with surfaces, you know, even take videos. Like if you're trying to do look development or shading work for a prop or an asset, just, you know, shoot your own reference and just observe, start going outside and looking at you know, oh, what is the relationship between the shadows and the sun? Like, what's what's happening here? Like, what are these complexities that are happening between these surfaces and stuff? Just go out and start observing, start shooting photos. Um, the Pixar guys, a lot of those guys will go out and do, like, watercolor paintings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just try to see, like, how are 
how can they come up with like mood boards and, and color scripts and stuff for when they will actually go in and start lighting? So, like, you know, all that stuff is valid. It, it, it all relates to, to lighting. That's why you have these illustrators that they can capture lighting so well. Yeah. So you were, you were talking about the future, getting into the future, or maybe Brandon was saying that. Where do you think technology is going to go to help improve the workflow of lighters, right? Like the only thing I can think of is maybe performance gets better so that rendering times are lower or maybe everything could potentially one day be real time. There is no render button. It's just I added the light and it's in the scene and that's that, you know, like I think right. other than that, I have no idea what this, what to expect. So what do you think, I guess, is on the horizon for lighting technologies in the, in the future? For games specifically, I would say um, just like dynamic GI, um, which is global illumination, so bounce lighting, all that stuff is going to be standard. It already kind of is. Um, but having deferred dynamic GI and, you know, not having lim limits on shadow casting lights, because um, that's a big thing. Like, you know, if you have a, a sun, which is your shadow, main shadow caster in a scene, most likely you're not going to have any point lights or spotlights or anything that are casting shadows in the same mm -hmm. scene, unless you have, um, you know, different workarounds. Like, for example, if you're going in the interior, maybe, you know, having occluders that block out the sun and stuff like that, you can get away with, you know, certain performance things. But mm -hmm. um, in the future, hopefully all those, you know, restraints will be taken away and lighters can kind of go crazy. Um, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. um, and a lot of technical stuff, hopefully, will kind of become um, automated as well. You know, like placing reflection uh, heat maps and stuff like that. Um, it's cool that, you know, it gives artists control. Um, you can artistically manipulate those things and stuff to get certain looks that you want. But um, right now, it's a lot of manual technical tasks that are kind of taking away that lighters can be using to be doing more artistic work to push the visuals and stuff. They're, they're concerning themselves more with performance and stuff. Um, but hopefully in the future, a lot of that stuff, those limitations will hopefully get less hardcore. Um, nice. And for film, like you said, like, you know, render times can be pretty gnarly. Like uh, my buddy, I don't know if it's on Jurassic world or he had some really complex movie that he's working on where he had like, you know, two days of frame type thing uh, on the render farm, you know, like just crazy, like render times, like obnoxious render times. Um, hopefully a lot more, you know, GPU based renders and stuff will become mainstream for film. Mm -hmm. um, or at least being able to leverage the GPU more um, would be awesome. Um, but yeah, like already you have renders that you can, you know, have light, light, light element passes where compositors can manipulate and turn off lights and post. You know, you have all yeah. this control that's given to compositors now where, you know, some studios, they have it where lighters are essentially just giving data passes to compositors to look at and light it in post. So there's like a lot of really cool techniques and tools out there already. Um, I just think that stuff's going to keep getting better and better. Dude, crazy. Like, I think one of the technologies that impressed me the most recently, and I think this was unreal, actually, I don't do a lot of lighting, so forgive me for being ignorant to it, but I was, I saw this guy, he was exporting a screenshot, right? And then in this YouTube tutorial, he's like, you know, painting on Photoshop, like the lighting changes. Mm -hmm. And then he brought the changed image back into Unreal and Unreal basically like took the, the image and was like, oh, okay. And then all the lights in the scene kind of change to reflect the the painting like the values the intensities and the colors and stuff i was like jesus christ i was like that's pretty cool but like it'd be great if you could just go out with your camera and say yes this is lighting that i want right and i just put a picture in and it's able to tell the difference between lit objects shadows where the light sources are coming from and mimic my scene just based on the photograph that i took so that's uh that's kind of something that we do uh, in a way yeah. uh, image based that's what it's called so like okay um like on set for example um you'll have a guy go out and shoot a full panorama of the scene mm. um then in a, like a compositing package like nuke or even in photoshop you can extract your light sources and use those as textures that you pipe into your lights and you can have like the the core and the color temperature and all that stuff exactly how it was on set um and it's just a matter of placing them and uh, you're you're pretty much getting what the, 
the DP had on set um, and CG, which is pretty cool. And on the game side, um, we're starting to use HDRs and stuff a lot more to lighter scenes. So um, skies and all that kind of stuff, artists are going out and capturing these and using those to help illuminate their scenes um, on top of, like, you know, the unreal directional lights and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. Yeah, well, I kind of want to dig back into your past. All right. (laughs) So you – a lot of stuff that we hear about, right, are uh, movie jobs – overseas or at least in canada right you spent some time over over up there mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was in vancouver right vancouver and that's a pretty hot mm-hmm. spot for visual effects studios um yes so what's interesting is like how how is it in vancouver i i never visited i'm assuming it's it just is. like any other city but it's gorgeous and the pacific northwest is so rad like it's, it's similar to here in orange county where you can be in the mountains and by the ocean in the same day you know mm-hmm. Um, it's obviously much cooler up there, but like it's still like you can go hang out at the beach. They have like you know water sports and stuff, and then you have and uh, mountains where you can go snowboarding and stuff like two hours away. So it's it's a really cool city. Um, it's a pretty young city. Like it's still like a lot of the culture and stuff is still kind of developing, and visual effects has had a big impact on that. You have tons of diversity there. There's people from all around the world coming. Because uh, it's pretty simple to get a working permit to go work in Canada, a lot more so than it is in the U.S. So, uh, you know, I've worked with people from Indonesia, Japan, China, India, France, England, Colombia, Mexico, like all within just like our lighting team. Their light, even just our lighting team was that diverse. So the whole studio, you know, it was just people from all over the place. Um, so it was a really cool experience, man. Like just going out to lunch with those guys and seeing, kind of getting a taste of their culture. Because in the U.S., you know, we kind of we kind of are very tunnel visioned with what's happening in our country. You know, we have a huge country, and there's a lot of stuff that happens here. And you know, for years we've kind of controlled a lot of entertainment stuff. So we haven't really it hasn't been a necessity to kind of look outside what other people are doing. But mm-hmm. other countries are doing incredible stuff that we could learn from. You know, um, so it's really cool to just go out and get different perspectives. Um, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. I met like a lot of cool guys and and girls, and just like uh, yeah, dude, just learned a bunch of bunch of stuff, man. We had our daughter out there. Me and my wife had our daughter in Canada, so she's oh, nice. a Canadian citizen and a U.S. citizen. <laughs> oh, check her out. Yeah, man. So yeah, it was a great experience. Quick question: Is your daughter showing any sort of prowess for art or creativity? Dude, she is. Awesome. Uh, she's, there we go. Yeah, she. So she's turning three on Halloween. Her birthday's Halloween. Oh man! And Lucky she's, her. Dude, she's already drawn like really cool little characters and stuff, man. So yeah, I have a three-year-old daughter, and or she will be three on Halloween. So mm-hmm. she's two now. My son is five, uh, and he'll be six awesome. in a couple couple weeks, dude. Congrats, man! I'm happy for you. Thanks, man. If- if my child follows in any of the footsteps down any path that I ever like participated in, that would just make my day. Cause it's like, you can relive, you know, as they're coming up in baseball, I can be like, yes, like, let me show you the fastball son. And like, you know, yeah. as she's doing her creatures, you're like, yes, let me show you, you know, how to color or how to shade or some surface scatter, you know, it's real trippy. Like even like with Netflix, especially like things are so nostalgic, like with the kids, like, we watched Power Rangers the movie you did like mm. last week. It's like such a bad movie, but like it's <laughs> available. Like oh my god, dude, I remember watching this when I was your age. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Is there like any uh, standout differences raising a family over in Canada versus here that you, that sticks out to you? Um. Well, my situation in Canada was a little bit weird in that uh, I didn't live in the city properly. Like I was like 45 minutes out. So I take the sky train into work, um, work and then come back on the sky train. So it's like a little bit of a commuting action. Uh, but while we're there, my little dude was only four, like he was three then turned four there. Um, so he was like in pre K then. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty similar, man. Like their, their healthcare is a lot better. That's for sure. It's <laughs> all <laughs> free. Dude, yeah, it's incredible. Like we had our daughter for free there. It was awesome. <laughs> uh, it's a trip then. 
Yeah. And everybody's, you know, mad friendly there, dude. It's, it's really nice. So yeah, as far as family stuff, like they have, it's similar to Orange County in that they have tons of parks and beautiful nature. Um, it's just different, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of like Rocky Hills and stuff, you have like tons of mountains with, you know, huge trees and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's gorgeous landscape. Cool place to, to raise a family for sure. Oh, nice. So the transition from movies, you worked on, the f- on a f- like a lot of movies, right? You had fun. Yeah. Uh, so what what made you make the jump to to games? Um. So I worked for a while in television and commercials. Um. Before then, I worked at EA. EA was my first kind of big break into the game industry. I worked on uh, Madden, mm-hmm. which was a cool experience. I got to work on both Gen 3 and Gen 4 versions of Madden 25. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, it was sick. So I got to do the, the whole PS3 and Xbox 360 uh, portion, which was a completely different lighting workflow. And then we switched into a fully deferred. Um, so everything was vertex lit in Maya for uh, Gen 3 and for Gen 4 is all like deferred in their own engine, which is cool. Um, so I made that jump from games into VFX. So for VFX, I was doing stuff uh, for television and commercials. Um, but for television commercials, especially in LA, it's very sporadic, like what your schedule will be. Um, they, like I, I even received an offer to work for a week and a half. Mm-hmm. So like you never know like when things will be dry and when things will be you know it's feast or famine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like it's definitely feast time around uh, pilot season. So like around the spring, there's tons of pilots that are pitched in LA, and people work really hard to get these things ready for uh, the fall. Mm-hmm. So things are either getting picked up, shows are getting picked up or declined. So it's a great time to work in the effects in LA. But during the summer, it gets pretty dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the summer. Uh, I was looking around and a buddy that I interviewed with at DICE actually put me in touch with his friend who worked at Turtle Rock, uh, John, who's an amazing lighter as well. And they worked together before. So John scooped me up and picked me up at Turtle Rock to come help them finish Evolve. So I was able to work with those guys for, I think, about four months to help uh, finish Evolve. Um so I worked there for a little bit, and then I got an offer that I couldn't pass up in Vancouver to, to do some feature film stuff uh, at MPC, which is like a studio that I've always like you know really admired. Their their work's incredible. Um, MPC Moving Picture Company, if you guys don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really cool studio. So um, my contract with Turtle Rock was ending anyways. So um, right when it ended, I just made the transition. I moved up to Vancouver, worked at MPC for a while. And I loved it there. Um, Vancouver is just crazy expensive. It's like literally the most expensive city in North America. Mm-hmm. So having like a new daughter and our son, like after a year and a half there, we kind of felt it financially. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I ended up getting like a full-time offer at, at MPC. Like they wanted to give me a staff position there, but Turtle Rock also gave me a staff position offer. So like I kind of, we just weighed our options. Yeah. Um, you know, the future film work is really sexy and fun and you get, you know, especially now we're just like superhero movies all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, VFX work is really like appealing. Um, but Turtle Rock seemed to kind of have more of a family oriented, uh, like culture, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they have family days where they have, you know, family come to the office and company picnics and stuff. And plus, you know, all of our families in the U S so, it just made sense to move back. Um, I had a lot of friends that were still at Turtle Rock, and it just made sense to come back to games. Games were seeing a little bit more stable. Mm-hmm. Um, I was seeing friends in VFX just getting burned out, you know, doing, you know, 18-hour, 19-hour days to get shots done and stuff, um, which is usually rare in games. Games, a long night is like a 12-hour day. Yeah. You know, typically, you do, you know, normal 8 to 10 or something like that. Um, so just like hours and quality of life seems like games was, you know, where I needed to be at the time. So the fact that you were able to jump back into film or back into games freely for your position, is that something that you actually look forward to about what you do? And do you suggest 
that other people who are in either role, like look into going into games from film or film from games if they're, you know, if they if they're interested, I guess. Is that something that you suggest doing as far as keeping your options open or yeah, I think it's it's at least personally it's been an incredible learning experience because you know you see the strengths and weaknesses of both industries and how they can kind of use tips and tricks for each other. Um, you know, like for example, you'll have you know two million polygon background assets in film that like it's like why not just like have like a cheaper LOD like you would in games you know it's like yeah. low time for scenes is like a lot faster you know like we don't think about that kind of stuff in yeah. film um so go oh, yeah the render you know it's taking you know like a day a day of frame or something ridiculous like that's right we'll sit at the farm like it's not that bad like we still consider you know efficiency and stuff in film but I'm just saying but I would say that like it's definitely good if you're able to and you're willing to like if you're not scared to jump in and um, kind of tackle those challenges of like, mm. you know, like I have friends who are interested, people I worked with in film who are interested in coming over to games, but they're like really intimidated by working with uh, restraints, working with restraints, but also just, you know, it's a different culture, like mm. working with gamers and working or game developers and um, just like never working in a game engine, all that mm. stuff's intimidating. Um, so, but if, you know, if you're willing and interested, I definitely suggest it for sure. It's cool. All right. So how about a quick change of pace? So I've designed a game that I like playing with people on this podcast. And I think that right about now is a great time to introduce you to this new game. Would you like to play? Oh, dude, I'm always down for some games. Awesome. Let's <laughs> do this. The game is called The Fast Five. I'm going to ask you five rapid fire questions and we need five rapid fire answers. Are you ready okay. to play? I'm ready. Oh, you can't tell a lie. You can't right. tell a lie. You got to. Oh, okay, man. Here we go. Make sure my wife's not in the room. All right. What we got, dude? <laughs> Question number one. If you had to live the rest of your life as a video game character, which one would it be? Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh, that's a good one. Number two, Mac or PC? PC. Hey, question number three. Something you were afraid of as a kid? Um, Ghosts. Oh, Okay. Are you still afraid of ghosts? That, that doesn't count as five. I just wonder. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I still think ghosts exist, okay. but I'm not scared of them anymore. All right. I think. That's yeah. so, anyways, that's <laughs> a different discussion. <laughs> Question number four. Which coin-op video game have you spent the most money on in your childhood? Uh, probably uh, Silent Scope. Silent Scope. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. That's oh, so you played at the movie theaters? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and this last question comes from Patreon supporter and good friend of the podcast, Paul Miller. He asks, "What is a common gotcha made by newcomers to the lighting profession?" Follow up and uh, which Ninja Turtle would you like to be? Oh no, I'm sorry. Let me scroll down. It says, "Which Ninja Turtle would you rather work on a project with and why?" So he he snuck in two questions, but. Oh, okay. he, he pays the money and he helps us make the podcast. Thanks no, again, Paul, fine. for your contribution. So I'll go ahead. Two questions. All right, Paul. So, Best I things. mean, personally, I identify more with Michelangelo, I think. <laughs> I'm just a big, okay. big goober dude who loves pizza. But awesome. I think to work with, got to go with Donatello, dude. Donatello's solving problems all day. <laughs> um, so, so, it's a rational thinker. You got to go with Donatello for sure. All right. So, the fun um, guy leads to the rationale. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I want to be the fun guy, you know? So I want to work with a rational dude. I got to balance it up. That makes sense. You know, common gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's so many. It depends on, uh, like, you know, what, in what context. I would say a common gotcha for anybody coming out of school is that jobs are just waiting for you. <laughs> like, you got to really be hungry. Um, mm. Lighting and stuff is, you know, concept guys, environment guys, everybody. It's it's incredibly competitive. So if you're interested in it, you got to take it seriously. You got to really um, put the effort forth to better yourself outside of school. Um, you can't just rely on what you've learned in school. Um, I would say reach out to people, try to see if you can get some mentors, people who worked in the industry. I've had people, and I'm okay with this as well. Like if people want to contact me through email or art station or whatever. Um, I've mentored a couple people and, you know, it's, 
not everybody's down with that, you know? So if you don't get responses from people, don't, you know, be sad or whatever. Like, I'm one of those guys where I, I feel okay being reached out to. But I think a lot of people just assume when they graduate that, you know, oh, DreamWorks is going to be waiting for me. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I went to our institute, so I'm definitely going to get this job. It's like, <laughs> no, I didn't. Like, They're everywhere, so they know. Yeah. You got to be hungry, man. And you got you to gotta kind of hustle for sure. Um, if you if you graduated from an art institute, you have to work twice as hard as the people who graduated from really really good schools. <laughs> <laughs> they already have a head start. Yeah, I'm just I'm just <laughs> just being fun. <laughs> yeah, for uh, for lighting for games, uh, I would say some good advice. I gotcha would just be make sure you're you're talking to your team. Like, build a good relationship with the environment guys. Build a good relationship with your texture and shader guys. Meet the programmers. Just talk to people. Don't be in your little shell. It's you got to go out and um, you know collaborate with people who are going to help make your job easier. Like, you know, get your tech artist coffee sometimes or something. You know, you like make these guys happy so they want to help you because um, they you know they really are like crucial in helping helping get lighting tools and stuff. Uh, in line and same with other departments, right? Like when I work with Brandon, you know, he's incredibly receptive on like, Hey man, can you like punch a hole through this wall so I can get, you know, a pool of light coming through here or whatever. Like, you know, those kind of suggestions, um, just the more you talk to people, you know, if they say no, it's whatever, but just talk to people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, awesome. a lot of people get embarrassed, especially at a junior level to, to get out and ask questions. They don't want to look dumb, but you look way more dumb if you submit something that doesn't look good. <laughs> I just want to let you know, actually, Brandon's good for doing that in real life, too. If ever, you know, in your apartment, you just want a plume of light coming through. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I've seen about the gym, man. They need some savage for that. <laughs> 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 punching holes and stuff. <laughs> when you don't ask, I'll do it for you. So, uh, I mean, let's get into the work environment, right? So, obviously, there's got to be a difference. Uh, I, I work briefly at Digital Domain. Even though they're the same the neighborhood of geeks, there's definitely a separation of the types of geeks. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, <laughs> but how was it working in movies, especially with coworkers, and what's the difference with with games like more celebrities, say, celebrities, things like that. Well, I would say just, I mean, it's a huge generalization, but from my personal experience, uh, I would say games way more laid back. Mm. Um, you know, deadlines are usually not as gnarly as they are in VFX. Um, things are a little bit more laid back and take more time for production, pre-production and planning. Uh, you know, in, in movies and stuff, you have all that stuff done in pre-pro. When it, once it comes to VFX studios, like once it lands in our laps, it's like time to hit the ground running. They already know what they want it to look like. Right. But for game studios, you know, they're discovering that as they go along. So there's a different process. VFX houses are just vendors to help, you know, make someone else's vision come true, essentially. So they already have that vision usually um, with the help, you know, of look dev and stuff. Um and then they solidify all that stuff. Then once it's time to go, like the VFX artists just go. They know what they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like there's definitely a different level of professionalism. There's conversations <laughs> at game studios that I've had that I probably wouldn't have <laughs> at VFX houses. You know, it's definitely more laid back. Um, is it just the age thing know, maybe? Average age or is it around the same age, just different types of conversation, different types of people? Different types of people, yeah. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, I would just say it's a little bit more serious tone. I, I, this is a dumb analogy, but game studios, you know, you'll find like Red Bull and monsters in the fridge. The effects studios, you're going to find some green tea, and then, like you know, it's just <laughs> totally, it's just different, right? Like, um, it's a little bit more professional and a little bit taken a little bit more seriously because you have clients coming in, right? Like, right. Uh, I, I had buddies working on American Sniper while I was at MPC. Clint Eastwood and Bradley Cooper like came to the studio and they wanted to see what their shots look like. Right. So they had a daily session and you had to be in there with those guys and you know be ready. Um, <laughs> and in games, you know, you have stuff like you know 
Rocket League. It's like, yeah, we're there. We're gonna have this car bump into a ball into the goal. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> like Smash Bros. You know, yeah. it's like, it's just totally so different. Too. And you know, you, like you have the Oscars and stuff. Like, this could be an Oscar nominated movie that I'm working on. Like, seriously, right. like, you yeah. take it seriously. But yeah. for games, it's like we're just having fun. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. It's a game. Yeah. So just yeah, they're both fun. Man. I love both for different reasons. So. Was there any significance, um, any moments that you felt that was can be quite intimidating in in both movies and games that you feel like, uh, you know, it is a lot more serious, like you said, in movies. But were there examples where, oh, shit, like I shouldn't have done that? (laughs) Because in games, there is something like that. You know, if you fuck up on something, the most you get is like you fucked up ha 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 everyone's laughing at you but no one's like you're not on the verge of being fired or anything right it's it's more like a, let's just fix that mistake but i feel like with movies especially when you're brushing your shoulders with hollywood in any way right. everything is just like it's an art form just don't fuck up my movie <laughs> well, yeah man i mean people can be touchy you know like you never know who you're working with i mean we've all heard the christian bale rant dude yeah. like the rage can come out dude so <laughs> You gotta be on top of your shit, man. You can't be fucking bumping into people on set and you can't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you gotta, and same for like working in VFX. Um, I've definitely made dumb mistakes. I think one of the biggest ones I've made uh, is like, you know, when you're working late hours, I think this was at night where I was working like a 17 hour shift or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just super tired and super burnt out. Um, and when you're tired, and something looks good enough in your head, you're like, all right, it's it's fine. I'll kick off a render. And when you have these long renders, like a, a night of rendering is really crucial. Like you can't be wasting time. Like if you're sending it to the farm, it better be something that can be shown and it can be constructive. Um, in this one case, I think I submitted a render where like, I think Batman had like his base cape and his animated cape both visible mm. so like when i showed up in daily this dude had like two capes you know it's so, like the, <laughs> you know our vfx soup was like what like what is this you know so it's like i was sure it looked fine for that frame i was working on because that's before the anim happened it's like oh no this looks good like you know or before the other cape popped up whenever whatever the situation was uh yeah. so like you know being able to check you know a common thing lighters will do is kick off every 10th frame uh, at low res just to see, you know, if there's no weird things that pop up in frame or, you know, sometimes cameras from layout can, you know, penetrate through geometry. So you got to be sure that you're hiding that geometry. And if you're not checking those frames, you know, you can make a dumb mistake like I did. So I guess that's a gotcha mm-hmm. for Paul. <laughs> it's check, check your stuff and double check it before you send it to the farm. Well, speaking of hard work, then, are there any specific types of scenes that are just a pain in the ass to light? Um, I would say heavy VFX scenes um, can be rough. Like, you know, you're like rendering flames and smoke and particles. Some, like in some studios, you have effects artists that render their own effects. Um, other studios, they'll kick out caches and it's up to ladders and look dev artists to shade that stuff and then they light it. Um, but for me, that, that was always the biggest pain. So, you know, lighting characters and stuff is really glamorous and fun. And then you have like a bunch of rubble and destruction that like pops up and that stuff's, mm-hmm. you know, really prone to errors and like long render times, um, you know, figuring out like what's the best motion blur settings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it, it could be a headache, but you know, those shots always look the sickest when they're done. <laughs> So I actually have a question from uh, one of the listeners, Sean Booth. So he's asking as a lighting artist, you know, who's your favorite cinematographer and why? And who, what do you study for lighting for when it comes to ideas and inspiration? Sure. Um, That's a good one. I would say Deacon's his favorite cinematographer. Um, and... I think for, you know, just like I was saying before, studying all kinds of mediums, like figuring out what, which films uh, appeal to you and why, like trying to like backwards engineer, maybe like how they set up a shot and how they lit it. Same with photography, um, Pinterest, Instagram, 
those are all like really good resources. Just like when you're bored, just looking through for inspiration and trying to find stuff. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I don't, I don't think I fully answered your question. What's the rest of your question? Oh, just yeah, I think you answered it. I mean, just looking <laughs> for ideas and inspiration, and just choose your favorite cinematographer. So, what's his full name? Deacon. Oh, Roger Deacon's. Roger Deacon. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's another question by Robert Dietrich. Man, I'm going to have a lot of trouble reading these names. So uh, his question is more towards Evolve, right? So um, for for people out there who don't understand uh, lighting in games in particular, so uh, in open environments like Evolve, were there much use for your three-point lighting or is it just more relying on natural lighting? Gotcha. Um, yeah, so we did... We didn't do three-point lighting on uh, on Evolve, but we did have lights that were parented to our characters mm-hmm. to help pop them from the environment, um, especially for monsters. So monsters were played in third person, where the hunters were your first person. So for the monsters, we had, uh, I think, a rim light and a fill light, um, and the key was just coming from the sun. So I guess there was three-point lighting on them, now that I think about it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so most of Evolve was, you know, getting a good looking sky, um, and then our sun set up and then making a global cube map mm-hmm. and global cube maps kind of help fill out any dark areas in the map based on what your sky and your fog settings are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like step one is getting your global cube map and your sun set up how you want it. And then you go and you place your local localized cube maps and cry engine, uh, to you know, get better looking bounce light and stuff in select areas, mm-hmm. and then um, second pass for me, anyways, was setting up the fog settings, mm-hmm. doing another bake on the global, and going through and baking the locals again. And if I found any areas that were looking too dark, you know, like I would add in fill lights and stuff that were supposed to look like natural lights, like stuff that could come from the sky. Um, and then going in and finally placing like artificial lights. So if we had like a, uh, you know, a hut or something like that, or some kind of village, you know, start placing lights like man-made lights that they would have in those areas, and just iterating on all that stuff, getting getting feedback in art direction, and you know, what's the best looking stuff. So I have a question when it comes to um, if you were to look back at uh, after college, Scott. Mm-hmm. And you, if you were able to uh, redirect your career path, like, were, were, would there be anything that you would be doing differently? Maybe, you know, um, going to movies first, going, staying with games first, or lessons that you feel that would be better if you thought about it. <laughs> sure, and a second chance, yeah. Um, as far as the career situation goes, I, I wouldn't change anything. I don't think, uh, primarily because the people I've been able to work with, like I've been super lucky, like probably luckier than most people were every team I've been on. I've met like really solid people and built like lifelong friendships and stuff. Oh, nice. I, th- I think just that alone is justification for some of the career choices I've made. Um, I think, the fact that I do have a film background kind of helps me bring a new uh, perspective for doing stuff in games. Um, like you said, like a lot of environment artists kind of evolved into becoming lighters early on. Like once we transitioned into Jet 4, a lot of those guys just they're like, oh, I guess I'll just light mm-hmm. instead of doing environment stuff now. Mm-hmm. Um, without really like, you know, having that background of like how lighters do stuff in film or as a photographer and stuff. Um, not saying that all don't. I'm sure that there's tons of you know people who transition from environments who have a great you know sensibility and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Usually those guys are like, I don't, I don't feel like working anymore, so I'll become a lighter. That's what press to make pretty good. I don't want to. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'll start lighting. So here's a question for you: Are you impressed at all with the the leaps and bounds that engines are looking and games are looking on mobile devices, especially considering? you know, the workflow is almost in pair with what we do on console, with what we can do on mobile now, you know, it's not just, it's not just like, or now it's like, it's just a small screen, let alone being like a, Oh, 
it's a mobile, so we have to do like some sort of dumbed down version of. Mm-hmm. I mean, now you right. can pretty much just export same project right to mobile. You know? Yeah, no, it's it's really incredible. Like especially like we all of us kind of lived through like the inception of cell phones and like where it all started. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so excited. when we even had internet on our phones. Like, Oh my God, this is insane. Like, and now, yeah, like the, the limits people are pushing on uh, cell phone stuff is really insane. Um, yeah. And and engines like unreal make it pretty simple to do that, you know, in unity. But yeah, it's, it's crazy, man. So you use a, a good amount of engines, right? So you mentioned EA, I'm assuming the Madden engine. I, I guess they didn't transition to Frostbite yet. But No, so when I was there, they called it EA Ignite. Oh, my God. That was like the minute. That's why it was on fire. Yeah. So like just touching these different engines, is there a preference that you see, or at least the pros and cons, at least coming from sure. a lighter, uh, that you see with these engines? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as a lighter, I, would, I mean, hands down, Unreal seems like uh, it's it's just got it all, man. It's it's just a clean product that's really user friendly, um, mm. and it gives artists and designers control that we normally wouldn't have. You normally need a programmer to sit next to you to do a lot of stuff that you're able to just script and blueprint and kind of do stuff on your own, at least to prototype it. You know, at the very least, uh, if I had something that I wanted, I could do a proof of concept and then show a programmer and say, okay, yeah, this is awesome. I'll make it efficient now, you know, and being able to do that um, without just explaining something to someone, I can physically show them something mm-hmm. has been incredible. Like I, I had to do, for example, a destruction test and show how I could transfer uh, between bakes. You know, how, how can I do a streaming swap for light map bakes and stuff like that? And I was able to do that by myself with like, you know, looking at tutorials for 30 minutes mm-hmm. on uh, streaming, you know, and being able to do that in a real, just the documentation you have and all that stuff. And on top of that, just the rendering is looking pretty gorgeous. But you also have uh, engines like Unity that are starting to use Enlighten and other, uh, you know, GI solutions where that stuff's really appealing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they even I think they have iRate now as well. Yeah, they do. So all that stuff is, I mean, they're, they're all good. Uh, as far as Unity and Unreal, it's, they're both incredible. Is there a certain one that you would prefer <laughs> for students to learn first? Uh, um, I would say, yeah. I would say Unreal is a little bit more user-friendly. Um, Unity, you have to bring in, I don't remember which C-sharp or C, I think it's C-sharp. Yes, stuff for sure. things like your uh, your post processing and all that kind of stuff is all done through C sharp stuff, which is confusing. Um, whereas Unreal, you literally just plop in a volume, and there's all the settings you could want to play with, like right there in the volume. Um, so, as far as you know, getting a good look, I would say in Unreal, uh, with very limited research, you can kind of jump in and start playing with stuff and get good looking results pretty quickly. Uh, and just there's way more documentation for it. And it's free. So as a student, you know, it's kind of no brainer. Even for my film guys, I'm like, dude, you gotta just download the engine and just play it. Yeah, like so. the top version of Unreal is every version of Unreal. That's actually one good thing I think about Unreal. It's dope. It's like, oh, yeah. you just download the engine and you have it. Four point seventeen. Yep. There is you no like it. you're on the version that has less features or but I will say, I guess, because I know Ray, if he hears this episode, he'll probably be like, nobody said anything. I think they changed uh, like how they do some of the lighting or the post-processing in the stack now. Mm. Uh, I'm going to need to, I'm going to research it and pull it up really quick just so that I can verify. But I think they did make lighting specifically in Unity a little easier on cool. developers. Yeah, I mean, I've seen like a bunch of comparison videos and they're pretty much on par with each other, dude. Like they, they both look so good. And like, the fact that you can have Enlighten with Unity out of the box is just so awesome. For the, those of you guys that don't know, you, Enlighten is like a real-time global illumination solution. It's what mm-hmm. uh, EA uses with Frostbite. Um, so it's all that indirect lighting, all that bounce light. It's like when a light hits a surface and this, the light bounces off that surface, you know, that different color lead and all that kind of stuff. 
that's enlightened handles a lot of stuff and does a really good job. I feel like I'm now enlightened. Yeah, so dude, there you, you go. And back to the cinematographer question. I forgot about my boy Emmanuel, dude. The best. <laughs> He's won the Oscar Tears in a Row for the cinematography, dude. He's oh. the cinematographer on Revenant and Gravity. Mm-hmm. Super good. Oh, dude. Yes, both of those movies are enjoyable movies, especially Revenant for, for cinematography. I really enjoyed that one. I was gonna say the Revenant, I think, was pretty much all naturally lit too. Like, I don't yeah. know they had any onset lights for the whole production. It's pretty oh, crazy. So good. What were you saying, Brandon? Sorry. Uh, do you guys get any perks, as in uh, working on a pretty good movie? Do you go to the premieres or meet the actors or directors? Well, since I only did film stuff, uh, feature film stuff in Vancouver, um, you know, we didn't do like the LA premieres. Okay. I know that buddies that I worked with who worked at like Method and stuff in LA, I think they did end up going to premieres like at the Chinese Theater and stuff. But I don't know if it's like the premiere with like the actors and stuff. Right. They had their own screening uh, the studios paid for and stuff. Because, I mean, VFX crews are huge. Right. So you have, you know, uh, on any given big blockbuster you're gonna have like you know six to eight houses that have worked on the film right. like three big ones right um so usually like those screenings it's just the vfx studios and maybe like the onset guys like the people who do uh design and prop work like i've been in premieres with those guys you know and talk to them uh but yeah as far as like being with the actors and stuff i don't think that's really common yeah um yeah that you know because you're a vendor, you don't get perks based on how well the movie does financially, right? Like at all. You, you, the the vendors kind of do deals with the studios to figure out, you know what, you know what rate you'll get, and those guys are trying to outbid each other. So there's, you know, studios are undercutting each other to get the best, you know, to get the best work. Um, so it's just all like pretty much flat rate, mm. um, with the exception of VFX artists getting overtime pay and stuff, right? Um, yeah, like in games, you know, you possibly get bonuses and stuff if the game does really well, but it's not a thing in film at all. Right. Yeah, in in film, if you do really well, they shut you down, is what I hear. (laughs) (laughs) They give you free time. They make you Canadian. Yeah, I mean, studios are lucky if they break even, honestly, man. It's it's rough because they're, I mean, you have artists that are competing against each other to get these jobs, you know, and then studios effects companies are competing against each other to get work from the studios. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, I guess it could be similar to, you know, smaller studios trying to get the, you know, the will of the, the publishers, you know, like if you're not owned by a publisher, if you're independent, you know, it could be difficult in the same way. You're kind of trying to figure out what's the best way for you to get funds and stuff. Same thing for VFX. Was that surprising to you when the visual effects studios were kind of collapsing? Rhythm Hughes, all those guys. Yeah, it was a huge shock, man. Like a lot of that kind of happened when I first was getting into the studio, uh, into the industry. Mm. Um, and like I had friends that worked at Rhythm and Hughes, and when all that stuff happened, I'm just like, "What is going on? Like this is really bizarre." Like even at the Oscars, you know, like <laughs> like the. Uh, they got best in photography and didn't like recognize the VFX crew at all for Life of Pi. And so, like, that whole movie was CG, yeah. dude. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so, I think we're, we fail to realize how hard it is to act in an empty green room, right? So let's let's concentrate on that. Like, there there's some kudos <laughs> deserved to someone who can for pretend sure. that they're surrounded by all these magnificent. <laughs> Beautiful creatures. <laughs> Talking a little Richard Parker. Now you're right. No, it's, I, it's hard. I get it. I get it. That's why it's yes, definitely Some more credit. Do that when they go to work, dude. What are you talking about? Yeah, I was on a. <laughs> this I was is on fantastic. Set. <laughs> this is amazing. I was so upset. I was so upset by that. Yeah, you know, I, they got shafted, man. I was on set for uh, one shoot with is for a Super Bowl commercial with James Franco. Hmm. And uh, he had to like interact with a fake tiger on the couch. <laughs> and, like, I can so totally see him trying to act. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like, I mean, just that, you know, like the scene. I mean, he, he killed it. You know, he did a good job because he, I think he did some work. Uh, I forget what it was on. 
I think Oz, he you know was an actor right. with fake characters and other movies like yeah. Planet of the Apes. Obviously, he had a fake you know fake yeah. characters, he had rabbits and stuff. So he had some experience, but still, you see this goofy like stuffed tiger that this dude's talking to, and like everybody's got to be super serious about it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, anyways, well, gentlemen, I took a look down at my iPhone, and it says we've been podcasting for over an hour. So Ooh. you know what that means. Means Brandon and I get a coffee break and we're going to turn the microphone over to you. We're going to let you talk directly to the audience and, you know, promote shout out or raise awareness for something that you're excited about or something you're involved in, or just something you think needs a little more attention than it currently has. So without further ado, sir, the floor is yours. That sounds good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I didn't know this segment was going to be part of the podcast. Um, but I'm glad it is. Like, uh, there's something, you know, taking a more serious tone. Um, I lost my brother to suicide in 2006. Oh, um, so it's something that's affected me and my family, like, really hardcore. And recently, last year, actually, no, it was this year, earlier this year, my friend Demi took her life as well. Damn. Um, so just been surrounded by suicide quite a bit um, in my life. My dad's in the Army, and you know, he's had friends who've taken their lives after war, and uh, just suicide awareness is something I definitely want to put out there for people. Um, an organization that me and my family are part of is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, AFSP. Um, those people are stellar. Um, the money goes towards um, walks and stuff that, you know, just help bring awareness to that stuff and help people who are going through stuff. You never know what people are going through. Um, I'm a super goofy guy. I'm always joking around, you know, but... You know, internally, I, I deal with that kind of stuff all the time. My brother was my best friend, and he was just equally as goofy and out there. So when he took his life, it was a total surprise for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like a really good athlete, like a really cool guy. So you never know what people are going through. So, you know, if you are listening and you're going through something similar, just keep your head up and, you know, reach out to things like AFSP and, you know, talk to people. If there's no shame in, you know, feeling sad or whatever, man. Everybody goes through it, so... Yeah, I'd like to end with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I don't even have a joke or like a closing transition. I, I, I double down on exactly everything that you said. That is definitely a cause that we get behind here. And so please, you know, just look out for people around you because you do. You never know. People can hide it. Yeah. And it's it's worse when you get surprised by it and because you feel like man if i only could have or if i only should have so i feel like if you could ever see yourself saying that about somebody that you care about then it's worth putting in the time to try to recognize the indicators and reaching out to people even if it's just a hunch right? right like it's it starts a good conversation between somebody you probably haven't talked to and that person gets to know that you cared about them there's no wrong in just trying to make sure that someone else is okay so uh yeah appreciate that man that's true man this is real shit dude yeah uh so without further ado or anything else to add to it thank you very much for being a part of the podcast and thanks audience for listening i'm larry charles and i'm saying good night thank you thanks guys cheers guys If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to stay in touch or continue to follow our developments, then you need to go to facebook.com forward slash game dev unchained and drop a like and stay in touch. You can also get the direct feed for this podcast on soundcloud.com forward slash game dev unchained.